Sometimes he seems so distant, so different. Is he even real? What if that transcendent, holy, glorious creator of the universe wanted to meet us? What if we could know him, not just know about him, but actually know him? Encountering God. A new series at Stapleton Church. January 2019. All right, good morning, everyone. It's so good to see you. My name is Matt Wolf, the lead pastor here. Today is a good day. Um, Today we are wrapping up our 21 days of prayer. So I hope you guys were able to engage in that in different ways. Some of you were even fasting, and that's why today, after our second service, we are having a feast a feast. We're having a potluck. So if you're here right now, come back. Come back at about 12.15. We're going to be setting up this meal out here. Um, we want you to be here. We'll probably have some tables set up here in the auditorium in the lift. Um, so come back. You can eat. You even have enough time to go make a dish or bring a dish or just come. Just come to hang out and, and celebrate what God has done over the last 21 days and will continue to do this year. Uh, I'm excited about the things God is doing. So let me give you a little bit of... Um, Looking ahead, okay, I just want to tell you a little bit about the things that are going on. So today we're, of course, in our Encountering God series, in week four of that series, and we'll get to that in just a second. But I'm actually going to take a break. For the month of February, I'm going to take a four-week break from our Encountering God series. So it's going to ultimately be about a 12-week series, Encountering God, but we're taking four weeks off right in the middle. And we're going to do a series I'm calling Kingdom Vision. Kingdom Vision. Because I want us all to see the world the way God sees it. So we're going to look through the chapter, uh, Matthew chapter 13, as Jesus gave a whole bunch of parables, a whole bunch of stories about what the kingdom of God is and how we could see it in our world. So I think it's going to be really challenging for us as a church, as individuals, how can we see the world the way God sees it? And I'm excited about this series, so that's going to start next Sunday, and then, so four weeks, and then we'll get back into Encountering God, which will lead us all the way up to Easter which we're already starting to pray and plan about because that's a huge day, a huge opportunity to reach people. I hope you guys are starting to pray for it as well. And then the week after Easter, when you guys invite all your friends, we're going to start a a series through the book of Ecclesiastes called The Meaning of Life. And that's going to be interesting. So I think we got got a great preaching schedule this year. Uh, I'm a little fond of it, um, but uh, it's going to be good. So I hope you guys are excited. So today, Encountering God. And in this series, we've seen that these encounters people in the Bible have with God are so unique, aren't they? Even bizarre. Just like, what the heck? We read these stories. But that's because God shows up in our lives in so many different ways. Some of you have had these encounters with God, and and they're different from the ones in the Bible, and each person's is unique, and I want to affirm you in that. We all have different versions of these encounters of God because God is so multifaceted. He's so incredible and transcendent, and so he's going to interact with us in different ways as he shows and reveals himself to us for what we need at a certain moment, or to reveal a different aspect of his character. And that's what we've seen in this series as well. So we we started out by seeing with the burning bush that wasn't really burning, that God is a God who wants to be known. He literally wants to have a relationship with us, which is amazing. And then in week two, as we look at Abraham for the first time, we saw that God has these grand, beautiful promises he has for his people, and he guarantees them in his own blood. He signs in blood, right? And then last week we saw Abraham again as he took his son Isaac up on the mountain, this long-awaited son that he had waited, but God said sacrifice him, so he's like, okay, I'm going to do it. And we learn that God provides all we need when we surrender all we have. So today we're going to look at a different encounter with Abraham's grandson, Isaac's son, Jacob, because we're going to learn that God wrestles with us. I love this aspect of God's nature, that he wrestles with us. Some of you are like, what? 
this again is another bizarre encounter of God that someone had in the Bible in history. But this encounter, I think, is so beautiful. And I think the truth that we have a God who wrestles with us is actually a beautiful truth. It's an important truth for us to understand and affirm because we all, at times in our lives, wrestle with God. And it's nice to have a God that will wrestle back. Really. Really is. And that's what we're going to see today. So there are a number of different reasons why we wrestle with God throughout our lives. Some of you have done it. Some of you are even here right now because you've kind of been wrestling with God. So sometimes we wrestle with God because of questions and doubts. Because we're wondering, well, God, are you there? Do you exist? Okay, if you do exist, why are all these bad things happening to good people? It doesn't make sense. So we're kind of wrestling with God with these questions, these doubts we have. How does faith and science, how do those two things work together? We're wrestling with those questions and doubts. Sometimes we wrestle with God, though, because of our own sin. We want control of our lives. And when God says to do it otherwise, we're like, no, no, no. And we're kind of like wrestling in this battle with God to get our way. So that's another time we wrestle with God. But there's also a third time that I see us wrestling with God. And that's when we're in trials. When we're in difficulties and challenges. When when things are happening, when we've lost our job, when we're broke. When our significant other just cheated on us. Oh my gosh, how are you going to handle that challenge? And just this emotionally grappling. And even sometimes it's with things from our past that we're dealing with and struggling with. And we're wrestling with God back and forth. And so I see those three main ways that we wrestle with God. So some of you in here can connect with one of those, maybe even multiple ones. I think sometimes it's all three of them at once, right? The trial that causes us to question (laughs) what's going on. And we're also wanting to sin while we're in it. Okay, so all of that is overlapping. I realize that. But we all at some points in our life wrestle with God. And the good news is that God wrestles with us. He jumps right down with us to wrestle with us in those questions, in those times of struggle and doubt. So who in here has ever wrestled with God? You know what I'm talking about. Okay. If you haven't, you will someday. And that's, this message is going to prepare you for that, that wrestling match that you will have because God wrestles with us. So we're going to jump in our Bible. We're going to be in Genesis chapter 32. We're going to start in verse 22 and go to the end of that chapter. But I'm kind of just jumping right into the middle of a story with this section. So I'm going to give you a little bit of background on who Jacob is. So Jacob, of course, is Abraham's grandson, Isaac's son. And Isaac had two sons, actually, right? They were twins. They were Jacob and Esau. Esau was actually the older son, and he was the beloved son of Isaac. Isaac loved him. Esau was a man's man. He was outdoors, hunting, big, burly dude. And it says that Jacob liked to be inside the tent, meaning he was, you know, a little bit more indoors. He's not the outdoorsy type. He, you know, he was the mom's favorite. What's really interesting about Jacob, that when he came out of the womb, he came out of the womb, and back then there was no ultrasound, so they're like, oh, there's a twin. But they know that because Esau came out first, and then Jacob was grasping Esau's heel, like holding on. So they called him Jacob, which means literally in Hebrew, one who grasps or one who is grabbing. And it, it also is kind of an idiom in Hebrew for someone who lies, cheats, and deceives. You like that name? Liar, cheater, deceiver. The one who's just grasping, always trying to... Like they, they even thought that, oh, from the very beginning, he was trying to grasp to get ahead so that he would be the firstborn. Because in that culture of the day, it was tradition that the firstborn son got a double portion of the inheritance. The family lineage would kind of go through the firstborn son. And since Esau was Isaac's favorite, he was going to get that firstborn benefit. But remember, Jacob is the liar, the deceiver, the grasper. 
So if you know anything about the background, there's a whole bunch of stories I'm going to go through real quick. But Jacob basically waited till his brother was super, super hungry after hunting and said, I'm not going to give you any food. He kind of hid all the food. I'm not going to give you any food unless you give me your inheritance. Esau gave it to him. So that was the first instance of Jacob basically tricking, deceiving someone to get what he wants, to grasp it. But then later, he dressed up as his brother, and as his father was you know, dealing with macular degeneration, couldn't really see, and was about to die and give a blessing to his son, he tricked his father into thinking he was Esau, lied to him so that he could receive the blessing. So once again, Jacob was the deceiver. And that really made Esau angry. Esau wanted to kill his brother, so eventually Jacob had to flee for his life, running away from this person who had, he had deceived. So then he goes, and, and you may know the story, he goes to his, this man Laban who became his father-in-law, and ironically enough, his father-in-law deceived him into marrying two of his daughters, not just the one he wanted, um, but he, which isn't a good story. Whenever that happens in the Bible, it's not endorsing polygamy. Let me tell you that. Bad stuff always happens. Okay, so Jacob marries these two women, and then he starts to deceive his father-in-law to steal his flocks, his herds, his sheep and his goats. He's deceiving his father-in-law so he can get wealthy. If you've ever driven by um, like a farm or, or gone to Greeley, sorry guys, and you, hear, you smell that? Do you smell that? If you're ever with a farmer, what do they say? That's the smell of money, right? Because the animals are money. And Jacob is deceiving his father-in-law, getting all of his flocks and herds, and he's getting rich and wealthy and money. I mean, he's got it made. So now his father-in-law and his brothers-in-law are angry, and they want to kill him. So Jacob again has to run away from a broken relationship. you catching a pattern in his life. He deceives people and then runs away with a broken relationship, right? So Jacob is now being told by God he has to go back home to see Esau, and he's afraid. And that's where our story is going to be picked up because he's afraid now, hey, Esau still might want to kill me. Yeah, it's been a couple decades, but last time I saw him, he wanted to murder me because I had deceived him. So he's going home. He has a, somebody who wants to murder him in front of him. He has somebody who wants to murder him behind him. And he's thinking, how can I manipulate my way out of this situation? That's where we find Jacob. And you're like, this is one of the patriarchs of the Bible? Yes, God uses very sinful people. Praise God that he uses people like you and me too, right? So Jacob is going home and he's trying to figure out a way. How can I manipulate the situation? How can I grasp my way out of this so I can save myself? And he divides up his family. So in case Esau kills one half, the other half gets to live. And then he, divide, he gets 550 animals, it said. Once again, animals are money, right? And he says, I'm going to divide them up into seven sections and give, send them up ahead with one servant, and the servant will bring the first gift of animals, and then the second gift of animals, and seven gifts of animals. So this is a huge bribe that he's sending ahead to Esau. Once again, trying to manipulate his way out of a bad situation. He's trying to grasp his way out, right? That's who Jacob was. It was his identity. And he's going there, and it says even that he put his wife, if we pick up this verse in verse 22, it says, That night Jacob got up and took his two wives, his two female servants, and his eleven sons, and crossed the ford of the Jabbok. After he had sent them across the stream, he sent over all his possessions. So I'm just going to stop there for a second. So he's even putting them on the other side of the river so that he can be in safety by himself. What a manipulator. Because a stream, I mean, it's hard to cross a stream. He's safe on this side of the, the river. So he's just manipulating 
grasping everything, but he knows he's in a, between a rock and a hard place, right? He knows that Esau's in front trying to kill him. Laban's behind him and Laban's sons, they want to kill him. He's really trying to get out of this and he doesn't know how to do it. He's kind of stuck. And I see right here that we realize that Jacob is really facing his past here. He's dealing with some issues that have been building and building. He's tried to run away enough times, but now he can't run away anymore. And I think in the same way we have that. We call those our demons, right? Which I think uh, demeans them because demons are real. Okay? But we talk about them as past problems, right? Uh, the sins of our past that we have to deal with at some point. They come cropping up. And I think this is the first reason why Jacob has to wrestle with God here. Some of us have to wrestle with God for those things too. We have things from our past. Not just mistakes we made, but deliberate actions we did that hurt people. We have broken relationships in our past. We have people that we've left behind and hope to never see them again or hope to never run into that person. I don't want to run into that person because I, I, I'm different now. You know, that was so long ago. But then sometimes we have to confront it or they confront us. And that's what's happening to Jacob. And he, he begins to have to wrestle with this issue of his past. Some of you, it's not even things that um, you did, but things that have happened to you. You look back at your family and it wasn't that you necessarily were a terrible person, but you're like, why did I get straddled with that family? Why did I have a dad like that or a mom like that? And we're wrestling with these issues even into our adulthood, right? Midlife and you're still dealing with mommy issues or daddy issues, right? Because that's what happens. We have to wrestle with these things from our past. That's what Jacob has to wrestle with God about. So let's look at this passage again. And in verse 24, it said that, So Jacob was left alone and a man wrestled with him till daybreak. A man wrestled with him till day- daybreak. So this is weird. Once again, <laughs> weird. He's there alone in the night, this dark night, and this man comes up behind him to wrestle him. Now, I don't know what he would have thought at first. Maybe he thought, okay, is this like a robber trying to get me, but all my possessions are on the other side of the river? What's going on as he's wrestling with this man, grappling with him, going back and forth, maybe rolling around on the ground, fighting and wrestling? But then he thought, must have thought, well, maybe this is one of Esau's men. I can tell it's not Esau. He doesn't have the hairy arms. right? So, so is this an assassin sent by Esau, one of his 400 men who are coming to kill me? He's wrestling and going back and forth. Who is this man? He doesn't know who it is at this point. But we know that he's actually wrestling with God. And we'll get to that in a little bit. God's showing up in a human form, in the form of an angel of some sort, representing God himself. And they're wrestling. The first thing I want you to notice is it says that they wrestled till daybreak. Sometime in the night till daybreak. Meaning this is hours. So I wasn't a wrestler growing up. But I remember going to my younger brother's wrestling matches. And um, in high, most high school and in collegiate wrestling, there are three two-minute periods. That's it for a whole wrestling match, right? I looked at boxing. Those of you who are boxing fans know that there's 12, up to 12 two-minute rounds, right? In MMA, those, these guys are really tough, right? There are up to five five-minute rounds, so what we're talking about here is the best fighters in our world fight for about a half hour. Right? You tracking with me? Half hour, maybe 40 minutes with breaks in between. So you're talking about th- this is not a long time that we wrestle because that, you're expending a ton of energy. 
And Jacob is wrestling with his man till daybreak. He must have been exhausted. This is all night long, wrestling back and forth, going at it. It seems to just keep going on. When, when someone seems to have the upper hand, the other person gets it back. And they just keep going back and forth. I can't even imagine what this fight would have looked like as they're jabbing and punching and grappling with one another and grasping each other, trying to take each other down. And they keep fighting till daybreak. There is a... Um, man in the 1500s, a Christian, and he wrote about this idea of the dark night of the soul. His name was St. John of the Cross. Maybe you've heard of him, John of the Cross. He talked about the dark night of the soul because sometimes in our lives, even for believers, because this man was a Christian, he was a monk, he said sometimes we have these nights that seem to go on forever and we're wrestling and grappling with God himself. Now, some of you are like, Matt, if it was just one night, I would be happy. Because it seems like that night just keeps going on. Days, weeks, months, years, I've been wrestling and grappling. But I think we see from this story that that's how it is sometimes. We're wrestling and it seems to go on and on and on. And just when our energy is lost, we have to keep wrestling. There's no end, it seems like, to the fight. That's what's going on here with Jacob. Again and again, they keep fighting. For hours and hours on end. But then the sun rises. Dawn comes. It's really interesting what happens here. It says that the man who's wrestling with Jacob, it says that he could not overcome Jacob. So they're still fighting. They're still evenly matched. And yet, this man touches Jacob's thigh, his hip. And all of a sudden, Jacob is incapacitated. Some kind of tear happens, a tendon is ruptured, something happens, and it actually causes Jacob to limp from that point and probably the rest of his life. We see in the next chapter that he's still walking slowly. So this is a permanent damage that happens with one touch of this man. They're evenly matched and all of a sudden one touch. He doesn't pick up a weapon, he doesn't pick up a rock, he doesn't even punch him really hard. It just says with a simple touch, this man incapacitates Jacob. I found this really fascinating and I was trying to figure out what was going on here and I had this theory in my mind because I wasn't a wrestler that maybe like if you lose the ability to use one of your legs you don't have enough force to push off and I threw it by, ran it by a couple people and they're like, no Matt, there are wrestlers that don't have any legs that can beat people with legs and I was like, okay, that theory doesn't work. So I called up my brother-in-law, my brother-in-law Ryan because he had one state in wrestling uh, so Ryan, he's in the Air Force. He actually met my sister Anna. They live in Virginia right now. Um, he met my sister while he was a cadet at the Air Force Academy. He's now a lieutenant colonel. He played football at the Air Force Academy. And before that, in Washington State, he had won a state, couple state championships in wrestling. So he knows his stuff. He knows his stuff. And I, so I called him up, and I, was just, I ran my theory by him. And he's like, no, you're wrong. And I was like, okay, okay what, what's going on with this? And I told him the story, and, and he, he knew it before. He's a Christian, and he said, you know, man, it's really interesting that it says hip. And we know it's the hip because a Jewish tradition would form out of this that's talked about at the end of the chapter that no Jewish person would eat the tendon next to the hip where the sciatic nerve is. They still don't eat that on animals to this day. We know it's that, that form like kind of connecting the hip and the thigh right there. So I, I mentioned that to him and he said, oh, that's easy. He said, I had great coaches, some that had won on the college level championships he said and what they always told me 
is that if you control the hips, you control the man. I was like, what? He said, yeah. If you control the hip, you control your opponent. He said, my first move was always to put one hand on the other person's hip. Because if you can control their hips, you can control them and pin them. And I was like, oh. Maybe it makes sense why God just touched his hip. Because he knew if he controlled that portion of Jacob, he controlled the man. He had officially subdued him with one touch. This is like a judo move, right? This is like, man, with one little touch, I don't know, some pressure point or whatever, but he has that much power and authority or that much skill to know exactly how to incapacitate and subdue his opponent. And that's exactly what this man did to Jacob. Fascinating, right? He's subdued. He's defeated. And yet it says, yet it says, Jacob was still clinging to the man. He was done. He was defeated, and yet he's still holding on. And the man says, okay, it's daybreak. Let go. Can't you see you've lost? Jacob's still holding on, and he says, I'm not going to let you go until you bless me. Because Jacob had realized that this man, it seemed like they were even in the fight. They were fighting all night long. Neither person could get the upper hand. Nobody could overcome. And yet with one touch, he ends the battle. He wins. This is not a normal, it's not an ordinary human being that he was wrestling with. So he says, bless me. So the man says, okay, tell me your name. Jacob says, Jacob, because what does Jacob mean? Grasper, deceiver, liar. And at that, the man says here in verse 28, then the man said, your name will no longer be Jacob, grasper, liar. But Israel, because you have struggled with God and with humans and have overcome. Gave him the name Israel, and that literally means struggling or wrestling with God, or that God wrestles with us. But he says, I'm naming you this because you have overcome. What this man is saying is that, Jacob, you are no longer a liar and a deceiver. Your past is done with. I'm giving you a new identity You're going to be a new person. And then the man blessed Jacob. And Jacob says this about the event in verse 30. He says, So Jacob called the place Peniel, saying, It is because I saw God face to face, and yet my life was spared. He realized that the person giving him a new identity, the person blessing him in that moment, was none other than God himself, showing up in the form of a man for a night. And that's probably why he had to leave before daybreak, because no one can see the face of God and live. My life was spared. Somehow this miraculous thing is happening in this event, and Jacob knew that something had happened, that he had wrestled with God that night. Yet he lived. Now, you should be a little confused. Really, you should. I studied this over and over again, and I've always kind of been confused by this passage. Because there are two different ways to interpret this entire night, this entire wrestling match. And really, if you look at brilliant scholars who have studied this, they kind of diverge. There's two main interpretations. The first interpretation is that Jacob won the wrestling match. 
that he won. So when people interpret it this way, they say, well, we'll look in verse uh, 25, if we can look at the next slide. 25 and 28, it says, when the man saw that he could not overcome him, and then down in 28 it says, then the man said, uh, because you have overcome. So it seems like Jacob has won the battle, right? Those two verses make it seem like Jacob won the wrestling match. He was victorious. So the interpretation goes, we must, be pers- we must persevere in our prayer as we wrestle with God because God, if we persevere, will give us what we want. There's two problems with this interpretation. One, there was no indication early on in the wrestling match that Jacob wanted a blessing. This man came up behind him and started wrestling with him. It was only after he realized who this person was that he asked for a blessing. And the second thing makes no sense of that incapacitating touch that his hip was ripped out of basically out of socket he couldn't walk again on it the same way ever again doesn't make any sense so the second interpretation is the opposite and says actually Jacob completely lost the wrestling match he did not win he lost and when he was incapacitated that was him basically saying uncle he you know touched the mat and even though he was saying i want a blessing he's saying i'm done so people interpret it that way, and they say, therefore, you must surrender completely to God and because it's only when you're weak and you're defeated, then you're strong. Those both sound really good, don't they? Both those preach pretty well. But I was struggling, which one do I preach? Because in one sense, it says that Jacob was victorious, but he clearly was defeated. Huh. Which is it? Well, whenever you're dealing with something like this in the Bible and you cannot figure it out, that's probably the key to the story. I think something's going on here that in that night, as Jacob wrestled with God again and again for hours on end, this battle was going on again and again, over and over. It kept going on longer, longer, longer. It seemed like Jacob was winning, and yet he was utterly defeated. It was both. And I think that's the point. See, What Jacob realized that night, and I hope that you realize as well, is that when you wrestle with God, you win by losing. When you wrestle with God, you win by losing. It's both of them. The passage says that Jacob won, and the passage shows us clearly that Jacob lost. It's because he won by losing. It was in the act of losing and being incapacitated that finally Jacob had won. He was still clinging on after he had clearly been put down (laughs) into submission. He should have cried uncle, and yet he was still clinging on. He had won by the act of losing. And I bring this up because we all struggle with things. We wrestle with God about different things in our lives. Sometimes we're angry with him. Why did you do this? How could you allow that to happen? How could you even be a good God if this happens in our world, God? We're struggling with these questions. We're wrestling with him, grappling back and forth. Sometimes it doesn't just last a night. It's going on and on and on for weeks and months, trying to figure out what's going on here. And I want to tell you, when you wrestle with God, you win by losing. You win by losing. Now, Jacob walked out of here limping. It says that literally, that he was limping, that he couldn't walk the same ever again. And for some of us, we're like, well, why would God do that? Seems kind of cruel, doesn't it? That he would hurt him. But, but here's the thing. We all know that if you want to ride a stallion, you've got to break it first. That if you want to remove a tumor, you've got to make a cut, an incision. I talked with a woman this week 
whose daughter went to boot camp. And the daughter on the first day of boot camp called home and said, I think I made a mistake. Do you know why? Because in order to make a soldier, you have to break a person first, right? You have to hurt them into the point where they think, I, don't, I can't do it anymore. They, they lose. And it's in that hurting, it's in that brokenness that actually a person is built up. And that's what God did to Jacob, and that's what God does to us in those wrestling matches. And you think, well, did he have to do it permanently? I think so. I think so. In fact, A.W. Tozer once wrote that it is doubtful whether God can bless a man greatly until he has hurt him deeply. It is doubtful whether God can bless a man greatly until he has hurt him deeply. See, when God incapacitated Jacob, when he hurt him to make him for the rest of his life limp, it changed him. It was through this process that he had a new identity. He became a different person. And it took that much pain to make it happen. So I want to say to you, when you have the car accident, the diagnosis, the death in the family, maybe God is trying to get your attention. And we know after the fact that it took that to change me. It took that hardship See, God gets our attention sometimes. C.S. Lewis once said that God whispers to us in our pleasures, speaks in our consciences, but shouts in our pains. It is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. It would be great if God could get a hold of people a different way, but we're stubborn human beings. We're like Jacob. You know, God had appeared to Jacob multiple times before this. He even had this vision of angels ascending and descending on a staircase or Jacob's ladder. You might have heard it. Amazing visions, amazing things that happened. He had all this wealth built up, and yet still he wasn't following God. It took a wrestling match and an incapacitation of his leg in order for God to get his attention. Because sometimes that's what it takes for us as well. It takes the hardship. It takes the dark night of the soul, the pain, the hurt for God to change us, to get our attention. I know this isn't the the most pleasant truth to hear, but maybe it's the best. When we realize that God is willing to get into the wrestling match with us, to come down and fight us so that he could get our attention, I think we should be blessed by that because that's the blessing that... the way that Jacob got the blessing he had. So I want to challenge you when you have those doubts, when you have those questions, when you're struggling with something, when you're angry, keep wrestling with God. Keep trying to find answers. Keep going at him in prayer again and again and again. And even when you're weak and defeated, keep holding on. Because that's how you're going to win. You win by losing. What I really find fascinating about this story is that it says that God could not even overcome Jacob in this wrestling match. Why would it say that? If at the end of it, he could with one touch defeat him. I think it's because God condescends to our level. He comes down and he empties himself because he loves us. And isn't that what he did through his son, Jesus Christ? Think about that. Did you know this is what it says in Philippians chapter 2? 
verses 6 and 7, it says, Though he was God, talking about Jesus, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. See, when Jesus came on this earth, he was 100% man. And though he was 100% God, he did not use that power for his own advantage. He did not cling to it. He did not grasp it. Instead, he emptied himself of it so that he could be here among us as an equal to show us what God is like. What's even more amazing is that when he went to the cross to suffer and die for us, though he had done no wrong, he was hanging up on the cross and people mocked him. They said, if you're really king of the Jews, if you're really God, basically, you would save yourself. You have the power, right? Come down off the cross and save yourself. They mocked him. And yet he chose to empty himself of that power. And he didn't just receive a limp he died completely and utterly defeated but it was in that defeat that he had victory because on the third day after he had died after he had been buried he rose from the dead proving that he has all power all authority that he was victorious over the grave and he showed us that in weakness there is strength and in death there is can be life And through my loss, you can have victory. And that's what we believe about the gospel. It's so amazing, this truth, that as God wrestles with us, all we have to do is cling to him, hold on to him, and in faith say, I need your help, and he will bless us. That's the amazing truth, because there are blessings in this life and the one to come for those who would trust in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. The past would be wiped out. And as God would be on our side, who has all power and all authority, but would give it up for us to raise us up. So I want to challenge you to go to that God, to cling to him, to wrestle with him when you have those issues. He's loving enough to wrestle with you right back. And even when you're defeated, that's when you'll have your victory. Amy Carmichael was a Christian missionary, an Irish woman who traveled to India Um, in the 1920s. And while she was there, she served to help orphans in India because they were rejected. Most of the young girls that she worked with would have gone on to become basically prostitutes, sold into sex slaves. And she rescued hundreds of them and administered to them and loved them. But there's an interesting point in her life in 1931, after she'd been there for about 11 years in India, she prayed one day that, God, if there was a way that I could serve you more, Would you do it? And that same day, she fell and had a bunch of fractures in her legs, and she was never able to walk again. And for the next um, 20 years of her life, stayed in India as a missionary, working, though she couldn't move as much. But then she began to write. And she would write poems like the one I'm going to show you that are still impacting people to this day. See, God heard her, but he blessed her ministry. And this is what she wrote. In her poem, No Scar, she says, Hast thou no scar, no hidden scar on foot or side or hand? I hear thee sung as mighty in the land. I hear them hail thy bright ascendant star. Hast thou no scar? Hast thou no wound? Yet I was wounded by the archer spent, leaned me against a tree to die and rent. By ravening beasts that compassed me, I swooned. Hast thou no wound? 
No wound, no scar, yet as the master shall the servant be, and pierced are the feet that follow me. But thine are whole, can he have followed far, who has no wound or scar? Our master was wounded permanently, and we too will be wounded, even in our wrestling with God. Yet it's through that, and even through defeat, that we will receive the blessing. And I want to challenge you to do that. Whatever you're facing right now, if you just (laughs) are going through a divorce, it may take years before you see the blessing, but keep wrestling with God. If you are broke, it may take you years to pay back your debt. It may take years, it may take decades to get out of this, but I want to challenge you to keep wrestling and keep clinging to God. Hold on to God for your blessing. Let's pray. Lord God, in this encounter that Jacob had with you, it's bizarre, it's unique, that you literally came down and physically wrestled with him. And I pray that we'd be able to learn from that because we all wrestle with you at times in prayer and thought in actions, Lord God, and I pray that you would help us to continue to wrestle. When we don't understand, when it doesn't make sense, help us to keep going back and and keep fighting and keep grappling with you. And Lord God, even though we will be defeated, I pray that you'd bring us victory, that you'd help us see that we can win through the loss, that though we are hurt, we are healed, and though we are broken, we are built up. Lord God, would we be able to have victory even in defeat? because your son did the same for us on the cross. Lord God, we come before you right now. Many of us are limping. Many of us are broken. But Lord God, I pray that we would see in that the blessing that has come. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.